To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and this week they were two little old ladies who offered to help the homeless, only to murder them for the insurance money. And bake them into pies. We'll review the latest Dateline podcast, The Thing About Helen and Olga. Plus, you can't become the hottest name in fashion without doing some cold-blooded things. We'll talk about the Hulu series, The Curse of Von Dutch. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. This episode will definitely go down as having the longest title. Really? Between these two titles. Yes, and it's going to stay there. This is the record setter. And maybe the longest outtake. Maybe. We'll see. Stay tuned after the credits. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline and member of the Exeter Holiday Parade Scooter Posse, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. Yeah. So, you guys, this is super exciting. I'm riding my scooter in the Exeter Holiday Parade. By the time this episode comes out, it will have happened. Mm. And I also... The local access guys are strapping a GoPro to my chest, so stay tuned. Wow. You know, you should strap it yourself. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Whenever Laura says, this is super exciting, I'm always yeah. like, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to me, it is. <laughs> Rebecca, I'm going to have a strap on. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Okay, it just got super oh, exciting. Wow. I, I, I take back what I just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to denigrate the excitement. Look at Toby's face. Remember to center it. Jessica got an awesome uh, holiday <laughs> parade there in Exeter, I Talk guess. Talk about the curse of Von Dutch. Finally, the captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. What's up, bro? Well, what's up is that we have a huge programming announcement, and we should probably make it for a couple of podcasts in case people skip this one because of the long title. Mm -hmm. Kevin, we are making a big formatic change to our podcast. Should we have some sort of uh, exciting music? I mean, if, you, if you're willing to pull some that I can insert into the podcast, sure, do it. Okay, well, obviously. Flight of the Valkyries. Oh, <laughs> oh, I think that's in the public domain. Let's do it. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, go ahead. So programming notes, starting on January 3rd, Crime Writers On will come out twice a week. Wow, why? We'll be doing slightly shorter episodes where we will be doing one review an episode. Yep. So we'll be out on Monday and then out on Thursday, and so you'll have a chance to select any and all of the episodes uh, that you like. So it's a better user experience. Why is it a better user experience? Well, because then you can select the episodes that you want. You know, it's a little more uh, bite-sized. I will say that, remember at Thanksgiving, we went home to Thanksgiving, and we saw my little cousin, Brendan, mm. my nephew, Brendan. Yes. And I said, are you still watching, the, listening to the show? What did he say? It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll still be able to get, I mean, you could obviously play them back to back if you like a longer experience, but we'll still have Crime of the Week and Cat of the Week and yes. all that other stuff. We're just spreading it out over two episodes, so we'll give you a, a better review. A longer review. A longer review, and you know. More that so, uh, we're going to bring back True Crime updates. We're going to bring back some segments that you guys miss. I mean, we are. We're, it's going to be a better show. Can I tell you why we're doing this also? Why? 
because I've spent this year listening to my new favorite podcast, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing about it is like you can just pick the one you want to listen to and you don't have to listen to another song that you don't want to listen to. You can just pick the one you want to listen to. And I thought, why don't we do that with our show? Just have one review a show. So we decided to split our show into two. Parts. Yeah, we still would love you to listen to all of them. And we know folks that will listen to all of the uh, the episodes, regardless of whether it's a title that they're interested in or they've already listened to. But it just uh, it just gives you another way of uh, listening to our podcast that we hope you enjoy. And look, if you don't like it twice a week, save Mondays, play with Thursdays. Yep. And there you go. Or save Thursday and play with Monday. Whatever. You know, you do you. Yes. It's like Burger King. Have it your way. Yes. And Laura and Toby, this does not affect you at all because we're still going to just tape once. It's just going to take longer. <laughs> so I guess but it is going to affect the you. Fun. Twice the fun. It's like double fun. mint gum. Yes. yes. <laughs> Although if there's like breaking news or something, we might have to call you back for a second taping. So don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> we might have like a true crime update and then be like, okay, guys, that true crime update changed. Acquitted. So it's Wednesday night. <laughs> Get back in the studio. It's going to be a true, true crime update. Uh, we got a breaking news situation. So, yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. Yeah. Aren't you? Uh, yes. It's a new day. And if you're angry, don't tweet at Rebecca. No, tweet at Kevin. Think it's, tweet you Kevin. know what? This is great because now you can have a morning walk and an evening walk <gasps> while listening to Crime Writers On. Two walks a day, two Crime Writers On. Just saying. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, I feel like we're selling it too hard. Like people are going to think it's bad. No, 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 no. I think people are going to be excited about getting a second, you know, they love their Monday morning Crime Writers On, but also to get another episode later in the week, I think. Uh, we're not taking anything away. Nothing's being taken away. <laughs> Exactly. You get to hear that music twice a week. That's right. It's not going to be like the second episode isn't going to have Toby. Well, I think that's one way we could increase listeners. <laughs> let's, let's, let's put it to a, let's put it to an audience vote. A Toby free episode. No, that's a no! that's a great Patreon, Patreon level. Yeah. Right. Is it? Yeah. No, it should We're be a cackling free episode. Yeah. Like an episode that just doesn't have any of my laughing in it. Yeah. But wait, you or any s- of my shrieking. Yeah. <laughs> For what it's worth, you can still go to Stitcher Premium and get the uh, ad-free version of Crime Writers on. And we'll see if we can't get a uh, Toby-free version on Stitcher. What a Kevin-free version. That would be a wonderful world. (laughs) That's just an extra 99 cents. Yeah. It's not a big big, uh, lift. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm really excited about this. So that's starting when, Kevin? January 3rd, Monday, January 3rd. Oh, we got to start planning that soon then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I thought it was going to be easier after the holidays. I guess not. All right. Should we go ahead and start our podcast now? Let's do it. And our double review, one of our final double reviews. With the longest title. Let's get it done. Leading off. Helen and Olga left their mark on Los Angeles, focused the city's attention on homelessness for a while. But, as you might expect from a Dateline podcast, this is also a story about murder. Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt were two seniors who became involved with helping the homeless in Los Angeles. They would identify men in need and provide them with food and shelter, but authorities became suspicious of their philanthropy after one of the men had been run over in an alley. What happens in a normal hit and run? Well, he, you know, there'd be some lower extremity injuries. Um, like a broken leg or something? Yeah, yeah, or a hip, you know, or something. Uh, but his crushing injuries were all in his chest and, and his head uh, suffered massive trauma. 
Investigators learned the women had taken out life insurance policies on more than one man killed in unsolved hit-and-run accidents. Police formed what they dubbed the Granny Task Force to look into a twisted plot of murder for profit. These are, these are murder suspects that we are going after. Even if all we can charge them with is mail fraud. The bottom line is they're murder suspects. Host Keith Morrison brings his unique style of self-aware cheesiness to the thing about Helen and Olga, mined from the archives of Dateline NBC. The podcast leans on interviews from its 2008 TV episode on the case with new narration by Morrison. The show serves an audience not looking for gore nor a serious investigation, but true crime escapism the news magazine has offered for years. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the 2008 case, The Thing About Helen and Olga. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Now, Kevin, I have noticed a phenomenon Mm -hmm. that only exists with podcasts hosted by Keith Morrison. (laughs) What's that? This is the only podcast I can listen to. On one and a quarter or one and a half speed, that sounds exactly the same as it does on 1.0 speed because Keith Morrison's voice does not change no matter what speed you listen to it on. It's incredible. It really is a phenomenon. What is it about his voice? Well, I think this is one where you should really listen to it in regular speed because it has a lot of, uh, as they would say for Pepperidge Farm, nooks and crannies. Yeah, what do you mean? Well, he he has a delivery that, like you said in the intro, is self-aware. He understands that he is playing a certain role. He's not Lester Holt. Yeah. He's Keith Morrison. He's better than Lester Holt. Yeah, he leans in, and by leaning in, there's a wink to everybody who watches Dateline. They know he does a lot of his stand-ups leaning on a tree or a bush or whatever the hell. He leans into that. Yeah. And so that's why he can take really bad writing and make it sound entertaining. Yeah. Because the writing is bad. I can't tell if it's intentionally bad to play to his strength as somebody who could pull it off. It's cheese. His salt and pepper hair was combed straight back from a face that read like a street map of lower Manhattan. The thin line of his mouth bracketed north and south by a mustache and soul patch. This experience is really more about Keith Morrison telling a story. Because look at this is a case from almost 15 years ago. And they don't have a lot of tape. They just have a couple of cops. and they have Well, they have all the tape that they already recorded. It's just TV. It's like they have, yeah. Laura, you also, I mean, I'll just say it right now. This is not as good as the thing about Pam. It's just not. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got Keith. You know, you love Keith, right? Like, I would listen to Keith Morrison read the phone book, honestly. I love this because in this case, it's like listening to Keith Morrison, like, narrate, like, a dark fairy tale. Like, all I could think is, like, Keith Morrison reads Hansel and Gretel. And there's two little women in the woods who are going to take the men and they're going to lead them out there with their offer of a free place to stay and bake them in the oven and... It's hot in that oven. <laughs> like, like, I can see your life is voice. Is it? Is it? it, it it's a is candy it house. But... It's really hot, like a hot candy, you know? Like, He's the only one who could put I the would... word well in the middle of a sentence. Like, it's a candy yeah. house, but well... It's not sweet inside. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Con- the well, comma, yeah. well. It's not sweet inside. But you guys, I want to go back to Keith Morrison real quick because one of the things I was thinking as I was listening to some of the lines, and, and I want us all to pick our favorite Keith Morrison line, was do you think they have like a little contest amongst the interns at Dateline of like who can write 
the cheesiest line for could Keith be, Morrison could be. that he can pull off. I know the one you're going to use because I think it's mine. What's yours? It's the one where he said... He- Detective Kilcoin may have had a smile as wide as a two-car garage with both doors open, but this was no time to let up. The one I'm going to use is, they were like a cash cow and they were going to feed on them like hyenas on the carcass. <laughs> I was like, hyenas on the carcass, Keith Morrison. That's I, a little aggressive. Laura, do you ever <laughs> use Waze to get directions places? I just want to let you know, you can set your Waze to have Keith Morrison give you the directions. Just FYI. What? Yeah. Oh, God. I'm going to be driving. Alley, driving, driving. Why is the price of gas so much right now? I would drive all day. Yeah, yeah. Just so you know, it has nothing to do with the president of the United States ever. That is actually a myth. Okay, so Toby. Yeah, okay. Here comes Toby. <laughs> it's actually true. So Toby, so my question for you is, um, let's just talk about story structure because I think I've already tipped my hand that I don't like this podcast as much as the thing about Pam, but I will give you my review during my reviews. They don't make this a mystery in any way. And I actually do think the thing about Pam, which I don't remember if you gave it a thumbs up or thumbs down, but that was the first Dateline podcast we reviewed. And it was the first time they sort of brought one of these TV stories to podcast form. And we heard the Keith Morrison thing. This show basically tells us in the first 15 minutes what happened. Um, I found that difficult and problematic in terms of a storytelling device. And I think you did, too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, when you were saying, you know, if you want to get it spoiler free, <laughs> it's like, well, the spo- they give away the spoilers in like the first 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, look, I, you know, this isn't the first podcast we've listened to where they tell you basically what has happened right off the bat. And then it's sort of the story of, of how it happened and what happened afterwards or whatever. But usually there's a reason for that. I, I, I don't know why they think that this story is interesting enough to carry six episodes when you know what the ending is going to be so yeah i mean i i was really i was really surprised by about the fourth episode i i listened to the whole thing but i was i was starting to check out around the fourth episode yeah. because i was just like what interesting is going to happen from here on out and to my mind there wasn't much it's kind of an interesting setup in that you know you have these sort of elderly women who are they're setting up these homeless guys with uh, life insurance policies and then killing them to collect on it. And I guess that's a kind of an interesting story, but that's it. Like there's almost nothing else to it unless I miss something. Yeah. Once you get past that, it's all, you know, there's this long investigation and this thing about the car and the trial. And and it's just, I will say the thing I hate about these podcasts, Dateline podcasts, the trial episodes, just don't do them anymore. They're so boring. I mean, there was one interesting detail in this whole trial episode. It's like, stop doing them. Like, stop. It's just like a a box that you believe you need. Yeah. Yeah. There's no suspense in the entire thing. I mean, the story isn't interesting enough to, you know, it might've been a good like half an hour thing. Or 42 minutes of network television. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There you go. I I could go on, but I'll save it for the next question. Well, let's talk about the old lady aspect of it, because that is something. I mean, the one thing I will say, Kevin, we never like, what is the connection between these old ladies? How did they meet? Like, That's the one thing that I feel like is missing. This arsenic and old lace. uh, I mean, it's like Helen, the rich lady and Olga, the active lady. Like beyond what they did together, do we get any sense of their relationship? I'm trying to think in the first episode, and Laura, maybe you jump in here, but it just seemed like they were sort of in the same circle, either at the gym 
Wait, or, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Were they, yeah, were they, right. they go to Slimmons together? Slimmons. <laughs> Slimmons. I felt like they volunteered together at the homeless shelter or no, something. No, they went like, to the well, homeless shelter to get these guys. I don't think well, they... Well, it could have been they were at the I homeless shelter they and they met. said, hey, I got an idea. I don't yeah. think so. I wasn't clear how they met. Yeah, they don't really... I, I, think, they, I think they say they, they met it at the gym. Yeah. Because um, they're buff. I'm just assuming it's Slimmons, by the way. That's my projection. <laughs> that's my podcast crossover oh my projection. God. Dan Taberski and Keith Morrison doing a podcast together. I can't even. Can't even. Sploosh. Okay, keep moving. <laughs> keep going. So, Laura, can you just talk about the dynamic, though? I mean, let's talk about the case a little bit. Uh, because I do think the highlight for me in this podcast is the tape of the two women in the police station together. I mean, that is the only good tape they have in this show yeah. is when they arrest them and they clearly know they're under arrest. I don't know how these women don't know they're being recorded. And you hear Olga yelling at Helen, like, about the scam. We supported, honey. We supported him. I don't know where all Kenneth's money came from and neither did you. We supported him. We gave him money, yes. Our money was intermixed. Yeah. It it was uh, combined. All of our monies were combined. When he needed money, I gave him money, you gave him money, whatever. What do you think is going on with these two old ladies in this scam? Like, what, what, what did you think about all that? I loved the tape of the two old ladies because I just, like, listening to it, the fact that they continued with this facade of, like, helpless old lady, like, even when you hear them like, oh, am I going to jail now? No. Oh, no, you put the handcuffs on me? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> whatever. And so it was just like the fact that they were just keeping up this facade of these little old ladies. But the tape was amazing because we hear the one and I, I pulled up one of the quotes. It was like, you did all these insurance extras. That's what raised the suspicion. You can't do that. Stupidity. You're going to jail, honey. They're going to lock you up. And the fact that they continue talking, like who the heck doesn't know that they are being recorded when they're in the interrogation room at the police department, unless they were so caught up in this web that they were spinning of, we're never going to get caught. We are the criminal masterminds here. If when only they had about, whispered. I, yeah, no shit. But like, honestly, you know, I was listening to it. And I was I was surprised that they were so clueless about being recorded because like that's kind of a given and then I would try to think like why are they doing this I'm like well look at the way that this crime was committed in terms of like driving back over and over this guy like these guys like multiple times like something is is missing mentally you know what I'm saying to be able to do something like that without remorse you know but it was like wow are we listening to like these like 80 year old sociopaths or why not what but that's my that's that's my question though like why not so interesting but that's what i think it is it's like they've got to be because of the level of planning and premeditation and the brutality and the i mean so much went into this i just have to say like i have a little note here the rubber signature stamp that was genius. Hmm. I'm like, I would like a rubber signature stamp, especially when I was in like high school and, and middle school when I was skipping school and stuff. Like that was a I just really learned Toby, to copy which, my mother's signature. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did too. But those. like, yeah. I loved the fact that like they were like, oh, we'll get a rubber signature stamp and we'll use a our last name will be Brown, <laughs> not <laughs> our regular name, but we're still. And I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, Sorry, I'm talking like Keith Morrison. (laughs) No, it's fine. But Toby, why? This is what this is the thing, the question I had. 
Nobody assumes that an older white man can't be evil or an older like man can't be evil. Why do we assume that an old woman can't be evil? Isn't that weird? I, I just kept thinking, like, what is this trope have around you met your mother? Oh, well, have you met anybody's like <laughs> mother-in-law? Like, ha- like, why do we assume that an old lady like what is this frame? Like two little old ladies couldn't possibly be right. evil. It's really weird, right? Well, there's a few things. One is I don't think you like age out of sociopathy. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like you don't suddenly mature when you're 75 and you realize the the error of your ways. Like this is kind of an extreme version of something we see again and again and again, which is there's this personal or cultural or whatever it is, thoughts about who is a perpetrator or who is a victim. And I just thought about these different things that we've seen where, like, I can't remember even what it was, but there's one where a cop looks at this, like, blonde, you know, attractive young woman, like, snuggling with her puppy in a hospital, and it's like, there's no way she could be a killer. Oh, God. Like, what the fuck are you (laughs) talking about? And then there's that one where long shot, was that what it was? Yeah. Where the Larry David thing was being shot, and the, and the, uh, the judge goes home with, like, audio tape of the guy who was accused and is listening to it again and again to try and see if she can like figure out from the his voice yeah. whether he's guilty or not. I forgot that. It's like, come on, it's like use, it's about the evidence. So anyway, the whole reason why this is even a podcast is like, isn't it weird? These old well-off white ladies are doing this totally fucked up stuff. It's just all about like our expectations. Right for what are the kind of people who would do this stuff. And because of their class, their race, and their gender, and their age, correct? it's like it couldn't be them. Correct. It's also a big story because it happened in Los Angeles, I believe. If this happened in Duluth, it would still be a horrible crime and whatnot. Yeah. But the media market there isn't like going to have the hotline to the Dateline NBC office. You know, get their producer on the line and say, this would be a great thing for Keith to come around and walk around this alley. Yeah. But also, I do think it, Toby's right. If you change one factor, if they're poor, it's not a story. If they're black, it's definitely not a story. Mm-hmm. If they're black, it's just like they're villains. Like, throw them away. Right? I mean, I, I do think Toby's right. The fact that they are well-to-do and white, it completely, like, puts them in a different- So the peculiarity of it yes. is what makes it newsworthy. What, what makes an adorable pair of white old ladies? It's right. But if they were, but it, if they that, were a pair of black old ladies, we'd be like, look at those criminals. Yeah, but it's not peculiar because it's like, could it ever happen? It's peculiar because that's not what we expect. Right. right. Yes. As a narrative. Right. Correct. So, Kevin, can you talk a little bit about the insurance investigators? Because in some oh, ways, man. they are the best investigators. This guy, yeah. give it up to the insurance investigator. R.I.P. I forget the guy's name. He did pass away. But this is the reason why we have capitalism. Because the man does not want to give you any money if he doesn't have to. So he'll hire somebody to go out and check up on your ass to make sure you're really dead. And so it really worked out here because the guy just, like, you know, started nosing around. And what ended up being a financial crime, at first, you know, uh, he was able to peel the onion back and get uh, law enforcement involved. And this is how we wound up. I want to talk about the, the whole podcast itself is interesting because, first of all, the naming of it, right? We had the thing about Pam, who was a big hit. So now they're going with the thing about Helen and Olga. For the record, Toby, Kevin looked it up. You gave the thumbs up the thing about Pam. It was a tepid thumbs up, but it was a thumbs up nonetheless. Jeez. Right. So you're like, okay, it was good. So Sorry, we got the branding great. thing going here, right? We've got the selection of an older story. You know, this is not something that's going to be an upcoming Dateline NBC episode, so it's not building towards that. See, their goal here does not seem to be like 
plant the flag in the podcast ecosphere and get a lot of advertisers and then sell it to make a movie. They're not doing it like what Wondery would do. They're thinking very carefully about making this a marketing product, which is why it is the exact flavor of Dateline. It's just trying to push people in. It's crime, journalism, entertainment. You're not going to get a deep dive. You're not going to get something like Believe Her that's going to be cutting edge and hard hitting. It's just this light, soft, look at this crime with these old ladies, pass the popcorn. It's it's basically like using content they have to make more money. I mean, it's actually really mm. smart. It's universe expansion of Dateline. Yeah. No, Rebecca, you're you're totally right because like clearly they they did this case like years ago and what they're doing is they're going through all their old cases and they're like which case is going to be a good podcast yep. and they're like well, this one is a good <laughs> podcast. Yep. Okay. They had a but meeting and they said, what's your favorite and, and episode? And they went around and said, okay, that, well, let's pull all the raw what's tape. What's like well, Pam? Yeah. Pam was successful. What's like Pam, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But the difference was Pam was going to be an upcoming episode on the TV show. So it had this synergy, right? This is just, let's pick something so we can make a podcast out of it. And they picked a good case to talk about. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. I have a quite one question for you, Laura, procedurally that I found interesting. Yeah. So during the trial, there was a hung jury on Olga, uh, yeah. but not on Helen. And mm-hmm. the judge did a weird thing where he let the lawyers do a second closing argument to try to unhang the jury. Have you ever heard of that before? I have never heard of that before. And as I was listening to that, I was like, oh, my God, somebody is going to contest this. Yeah, I would. This is so unusual. No, they did. Honestly, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the actual legal standard is for doing something like that, but I, I have never seen something like that. Personally, I would like to hear, even though I know that that's not sort of the narrative storytelling style of these Dateline podcasts, I would have liked to have heard from a attorney on some side, an attorney on some side of this as to what is the standard? It's like when we hear about somebody doing like an Alfred plea, like somebody usually explains it. Like, what's an Alfred plea and why are we doing this? Like, what the heck? You have a hung jury and the judge is like, yeah, we have a hung jury. We're going to have another closing argument. Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. So it was highly unusual. I would have liked a little more context and also then resulted in both of them going off to the clink. So I definitely, I would be curious how that played out in the post-conviction appeals process. Yeah. One, a couple of things about that. The prosecutor, when he explained how he like leaned into the conspiracy, I'm like, dude, just tell the jury why get life insurance policies if your plan isn't to kill them? Like just lean into that, right? It just would have been a much cleaner way to like end the whole thing. All right, so I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Thing About Helen and Olga? It's the latest podcast from Dateline NBC. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Thing About Helen and Olga? So I'm going to go with thumbs up on this. And this is not because I think this is like a great work of journalistic expose or something, but because... I would literally listen to Keith Morrison, like read me a bedtime story every night. And I think you can probably do that. I love listening to this. I love listening to his voice. There wasn't a great mystery. I knew from the beginning who did it. I didn't necessarily know the whole like backstory on why they did it, but it was just, it was like listening to like a little brook floating by as the murder was happening in the way that Keith Morrison is narrating it in such a way that you just want to keep listening. 
And it was a crazy case. And it was a crazy case because it was, you know, two old women that you don't expect to be participating in something like this. So I would give it a thumbs up just because, you know, I think if it was a different Dateline person narrating, I wouldn't give it a thumbs up. But Mm. Keith Morrison, he's my favorite. So I have to go thumbs up. Toby Ball. First, I'd like to apologize to to Kimberly and Katie. I was thinking that. Date with Deadline. (laughs) If you guys want to skip ahead a few seconds. I, I really did not like this. This was not good. Like maybe you want to listen to the first 20 minutes where you find out basically everything that happened. But I don't, yeah, I don't get the whole Keith Morrison thing. I just, I don't get it. Like I understand that he kind of leans into it. Doesn't do it for me. Uh, I thought the story was lame. I thought the way that it was organized kind of killed any chance you had for suspense. I do think that this would make an awesome, like really super dark satire, like limited series, sort of like Dr. Death. I think you could get two, you know, actors. Gene Smart. Yeah. These two parts are like dying for a great actor to act the hell out of them, you know? And I I think that would be super fun. But as far as this thing goes, like, I, I can't believe that in the vaults of Dateline, which must have a million different cases they've done that they came up with this one. And then with all the sort of resources they have, they decided to set it up this way to just like strip it of any kind of, uh, you know, forward momentum. Um, So anyway, that's a long, long, long way of saying a big thumbs down. I'm saying Gene Smart though, right? Playing Fruit Ninja as Helen. (laughs) Uh, Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a, a thumbs up. It's a slight thumbs up. I, I agree with just about everything Laura says that, you know, Keith Morrison is the star of this show. Whenever they had somebody else like uh, Mankey doing, was it Motive for Murder, which was another Dateline thing, and they tried to be more podcasty than just sort of ripping audio off of the TV feed, that it doesn't work as well because it is it is very lightweight. And, yeah, I mean, I think that if it's not Keith Morrison – the gossamer nature of the story and the format kind of falls apart. But it's not a bad crime to be looking at. There were things that, you know, maybe I would have done differently. If you are expecting the writing, the writing's like dad jokes. There's a certain uh, groan that goes along with it that you either enjoy, like Lara does, or the groan of disgust like Toby has. And so that's fine. This is either for you or it's not for you. This was for me. Thumbs up. Yeah, I think you're nuts, Kevin, because it's for me. I don't care. I love the writing. I love Keith Morrison. I love the cheesiness of all of it. But the story was told horribly, and it was really boring. So I have to give this a thumbs down. Like, I loved the thing about Pam. Loved it. I love the Dateline gestalt. I love Keith Morrison. I think... um, You know, I don't like Dateline in a, like, earnest way. I love it in the way that, like, Kimberly and Katie love it. Like, I really do love Keith Morrison. I actually do think, I mean, unlike a lot of people, I actually do think Keith Morrison is a good journalist. I really do. And I do think he leans into the personality, too. It's the fifth time somebody said something about Keith Morrison leaning. No, I know. But he actually is also a seasoned journalist. And I don't like it. Who likes to lean on I don't like it when people... There is a thing about people shitting on TV personalities, like they're not journalists. He actually is a seasoned journalist who has now taken over this um, role as TV personality, too. And it's easy to forget that he's also a seasoned journalist. I really respect and love Keith Morrison, and I love the personality that he has come to be. I love his delivery in this podcast. I love what he does when he narrates. 
this story could have been told well. It was told really poorly in this podcast. It was maybe the wrong selection of story for this podcast, and I thought it sucked. I have to give it a thumbs down. Wanted to like it, didn't. I think you guys are nuts for giving it a thumbs up. Big thumbs down for me for the thing about Helen and Olga. Toby, totally on your side on this one. Ooh, fighting words. Wow. <laughs> Toby. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Look at Toby. He's like, yeah. In back. <laughs> Showing it's, us the armpit. Like, I hate you oh, motherfuckers. Just, just kicking back. Enjoying the show. <laughs> hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Business section. What do we have coming up on our after show today? Well, on the Crime Writers on After Show, we're going to be squeezing all the information we can out of Lara Bricker about her trip to Key West. Oh, boy. Which looked pretty <laughs> effing wild. It looked buck wild. Buck wild, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I, I have a list here, you guys. I kept Perfect. a list well, of all the fun facts. Save it for the podcast, fun Lara facts. Uh, So what else we've got going on our Patreon, Kevin? Uh, right now, you can pick up the latest episode of Married with Podcast. Oh, it's hot. Hot off the presses. Yeah, among the uh, questions we have, we have a listener who does not want her shitty brother-in-law coming over for Thanksgiving dinner on the day she is coming home from the hospital with a new baby. Yeah. It's a fucking mess. Yes. But it has a happy ending. We also have a very, very hot Married with Podcast uh, question from somebody in this very family. Ah, uh, yes. It's incredible. We have like a lot of questions. Married with Podcast, by the way. You is said getting- a hot question. I thought you were going to mention the porn one. Well, there's also a porn one. Yeah. But you were talking about the one where uh, my daughter, Lily, has a roommate problem. Yes, she does. She, yeah, we've, yes. we solved that. We also have a porn question. This is Married with Podcast is getting more and more high stakes every time <laughs> we make one. <laughs> it is incredible. I think it's worth joining Patreon for one month just to hear... This Re- Rebecca's t- porn preferences. This this <laughs> edition of Mary with Podcast, it is amazing. I don't care if you join for one month and quit. I forgive you. I'll tell you when to join one month and quit again later when we have another great thing you should listen to. It is worth it for this one. Kevin, what else have we got going on? Well, come for the porn, but stay for Toby Ball's Deep Dive <laughs> That's right. Book Toby Club. Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Yeah, we have uh, a new episode coming out. Toby just recorded it with an all-star cast. They're looking at the novel... My sister, the serial killer, Toby, who was on and how did it go? It was actually, it was an awesome discussion. We had uh, Lauren Bright Pacheco, who people know from Murder in Illinois and Murder in Oregon and Happy Face. And we've got Deb Chudica, who is a folklore professor at George Mason and uh, Rebecca Sebastian from Dialogue. So they're all deep dive veterans. And uh, I, I felt like... Like, I got a lot more perspective on the book by talking to them. In some ways, like, it's a pretty feminist sort of noir that takes place in Nigeria. And so it was really interesting. We had a great discussion. So uh, I recommend it. And it's a quick read for people. Can I just say one thing about the Balls Deep Dive? Yeah. We've got some brand new art for the Balls Deep Dive. Thanks to my friend and colleague, Sarah Plourd, who's an incredible graphic designer. She made a very James Bond-esque uh, wow. New logo for exactly. the Toby Balls Deep I Dive thought, Book Club podcast. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. That's right. It wasn't the picture I took in Key West for Toby. No, um, no. The Balls Deep. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> alas. 
No, it's very James Bond-esque. I'm very excited. And it was unsolicited. It was like unsolicited. Like oh, yeah? 11 o'clock at night. She's like, been playing with something. Boom in my text. So I was like, whoa. Wow. What is going on with the fountain pen and the lady diving into the Balls Book Lake there, James Bond? Incredible. I just Al- I think it's a Rorschach test. Albert and you're Broccoli. Like up. When I first saw it, I was like, is that a butt? Yeah. You had to explain it to me. Anyway, I love it. I love everything about it. Is that it. a butt? <laughs> Kevin I gotta I, take a look at this thing again. Kevin, what do we have going on, Elson, in our podcast network? Uh well we have the latest edition of these are their stories. We're looking at an original recipe episode of Law and Order in which Candace Bergen yes. Murphy Brown herself plays a judge being targeted by Nazis. Oh, God. And it's our second Nazi episode in a row, and I'm feeling really bad about it. Yeah. It's Great the holiday guess, season. Great guest, though. Great guest, Lauren Milberger from the Murphy Brown Podcast. Also, we encourage you to sign up for our Crime Writers on newsletter. It's free. Go to crimewriterson.com, sign up. It's free. One of the great things that we have is always have new merch. Oh, I forgot to pick up my leggings at the post office. Damn it. This week, we have a new T-shirt. And it's inspired by Toby Ball, and I'm sure what he's going to say about the next uh, review, it says, I love a feud among subcultures. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Are those leggings or a shirt? Just a shirt. A shirt, okay. mug. It's anything except the leggings, but we can make leggings right. out of it. Do you want that around on I don't, the ass? I don't, I, I don't know if I'd actually buy leggings, even if it said that. They're they're just for women. I mean, not that a guy okay. couldn't you know, like, squeeze in a woman. We should pay Sarah Plur to design some shirts for us. We could pay her to design the shirts, and then we could lose money on the shirts since we make four cents on every shirt that we sell. But and be, the shirts would be beautiful. We could Given launder your interpretation money. of the deep dive thing, you could place <gasps> that strategically. Amazing. It would be a great shirt. I, I just have to say that I was um, in the next thing that we're going to be talking about. I learned how easy it was to launder money in the clothing industry. So I think that like we totally are missing the boat on our <laughs> leggings and our merchandise. Yeah. Just saying. By using another company to make our stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like we should be laundering money right now. I don't, I don't know where we're laundering the money from, but I think we should be. And before you ask the question, no, we don't have trucker hats. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have any money to launder. Yeah. We don't have any money we to launder, money but to I think launder. it sounds exciting. All right, Kevin, do we have any Patreon patron sayings of the week this week? No. <laughs> oh, we do. Our Patreon patron saints are Angela Ford and Aaron Kelly. Bless you. All right, Kevin, should we end the business section now? Please. Thus ends the business the section. The business section. Moving on. This of curse that Von Dutch put on this. And it imploded on everybody along the lines to varying degrees. Born from the fashion sense of skateboarders and drag racers, a collaboration between street toughs and a pop artist created Von Dutch, a clothing brand of rough denim and tight T-shirts. The struggling brand took off with the addition of a Danish businessman, celebrity endorsements, and its iconic trucker hat and we came back monday morning i said where are the hats they go they all sold they sold out and i was like whoa what as the new business savvy managers worked to force out the streetwise founders bad feelings emerged and in the world of high-priced fashion things can get cutthroat it was big time money was rolling in the difficulty was he was charged with first-degree murder The Hulu three-part series, The Curse of Von Dutch, A Brand to Die For, brings the story of those who claim to have created the brand that became a must-have with celebrities and fashionistas. 
It hails back to a murder among the principal players, though mostly focuses on the business battle to control a red-hot commodity. We're going to be talking about plot points for The Curse of Von Dutch. So to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Uh, Laura, you point out something that Rolling Stone also pointed out, so you are a genius. This should not have been branded as a murder mystery true crime documentary. Why not, Laura Bricker? Well, because I was waiting and waiting for the murder and the intrigue and the mystery, and I went in with these expectations, and I felt like I was let down because this was actually more of like a deep dive study of the brand, how the brand was created. I mean, yeah, there were sketchy people involved. There was like this person who was in jail for drug trafficking, but that was not actually the central focus of this documentary. And it was almost like a bait and switch to me, Mm. honestly. Like, I felt like it was a bait and switch. Like, I read the description. My son has been, like, getting the previews because he's always on the Hulu. And I was like, that's not what this was. And I think that because true crime is so popular, that was sort of the hook. But the actual story that they told was very interesting. But it wasn't actually a murder mystery to me. Hulu promised us a true crime with Sasquatch. Fool yeah. me once, oh. shame on you. <laughs> Hulu gave oh, me curse God. of Von Dutch. Fool me twice, I will shame say, on me. I, oh, God, I forgot about Sasquatch, and that was another one. Yes. It's so funny. that When this started, it's filmed so beautifully, and so was the Sasquatch thing. Remember when it first started? The visuals, I, yeah, yeah. Yes, I was like, oh, my God, this reminds me so much of the Sasquatch thing. And it's like people are so colorful, like... I wonder if it's going to deliver. So, Kevin, you had thoughts about that, right? Yeah, even though this is not really true crime, i got to say the first two parts were told really well. In fact, I thought it was very sort of fun and breezy to start. The documentarians do a lot of interesting things. There's that montage of everybody throwing the hats in the beginning. Uh, it does some little things that are really gold, but it, it certainly falters by the third episode where they try to get into the crime and squish the, the square peg into the round hole, and it loses not only the story, but the storytelling joie de vivre that it had. So even though it's not a crime story, a lot of it was still entertaining, but I, I even wrote bait and switch on my notes too. So I think the framing was not great, but I actually really enjoyed what the story was actually about, and I think Toby did too. Toby, I kind of feel like we're on the same page, and I tell you your first note, and I that would have been my first note as well. Would you like to share what you think this documentary was really about? I believe my first note was that it was just it's about capitalism. Yes. And it's just it's kind of about how the bigger fish eat the smaller fish. Yes. It's like a medium sized fish eats the really small fish, which has the Von Dutch. And I can't I can't remember what that guy's name is. You see him at the beginning and he feels the need to lie on a bed to be interviewed. That's for some Ed reason. Boswell, the uh, artist. The yeah. guy with the bad pillows who yes. has one like Aztec pillow and one like bad sofa patio furniture pillow. Like in your neck. In the neck. Don't tell people that you invented and you created the Von Dutch clothing line and tell them what really happened. In the neck. Our three main characters here are Bobby. He's the young guy, the shooter, ex-model guy. Ed Boswell, yep. the artist, bed guy, and maybe the greatest character I've seen this year, Mike Cassell, yeah, guy in the trailer awesome. with the dog. <laughs> who needs to smoke some crack? So so Mike sees Ed, who literally like has a table 
or a booth at some show or something is like, this is what I want. I want this Von Dutch brand. I, I want your and patches. Then, <laughs> and he turns it into a little something, but he's like, you know, he's a medium size fish. And then Tony comes along and he's a bigger fish and just he's got money and just forces him right out. Each person who kind of gets eaten, as you would imagine, is frustrated and thinks that, you know, they had the original vision and that they were betrayed. Because they were. Yeah, they were. But the reality is the Von Dutch that everybody knows is what happens when it gets taken by the, you know, the really big fish and they put money behind it and they kind of sell out all the values, but are able to establish it as this sort of hot brand briefly. What values? Were they betrayed? <laughs> this is the first of all. Yeah. I don't think Mike is full of shit. I don't. I love Mike. Yeah. We yeah. see Mike doing a bunch of drugs in front of us, but who cares, right? Oh, he's in pain. Physical well, pain. He's, he's, got, he's got a lot of pain. And yeah. he's got a dead dog, Rebecca. I would do drugs if I had a dead dog on the couch next oh, to me. Oh, the dog was able to get up on the couch <laughs> just fine, Laura. He Come was on. fine. Pet detective. I mean, Mike, everyone was a, a terrified of him. And he was like, yeah, I was a drug kingpin, whatever. That's really interesting because I, I, I made a note of that, that before we see him, everybody's talking about what a scary guy he is. And then we see him like they, they he build up. He's so smart. That he's, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's, he's humbled. He's in a lot of pain. We see him he having to smoke some hard drugs just to be able to, to function. But the idea that he is or was Scarface. Terrifying. Yeah. terrifying. For some reason, that doesn't come through. And I don't know if that's a miss or if that is no, he built intentional. The band in, he says he was. He well, built the band in prison. He, he built the brand in prison. Right. Yeah. But, but did that guy seem like a scary Cut your th- actual throat, guys. Yes. You know what he, he seemed did like to me? Okay, yeah. I thought he you know, was. You know what, okay. he, you know what okay. he seemed like to me? He seemed like a guy when he was young, he was probably terrified. You know how people ate? Yeah. Now, unlike sociopathy, there is a thing that you're terror. Like a lot of people who commit a lot of crimes when they're in their 20s and 30s, they do in their mid 30s, like 40, they do actually age out and they mellow out. Like he's like that kind of guy. Yeah, even Jordan had to retire. Like he's like, it's like, he's, it's like every rock band. Yeah. It's like yeah. they get soft when they get to like 45 <laughs> or 50. Yeah, 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 yeah. They and just want to do the hits. Yeah. And then you collaborate with like Rihanna or whatever on a song. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was that guy. I loved him though. I thought just the way he talks in that. Unlike Bobby, who has a lot of braggadocio, you so know, full of shit, when Bobby. Mike, when Mike, when Mike was talking, it was just like, oh fuck, like this guy doesn't even feel the need to like talk about what a badass he is. He just he gets asked questions and he just doesn't answer them. And you're like, okay, I'll take yeah. that as a yes. And that was probably not good at the time. I was not planning on making that my living. I was thinking I'm going to have to figure out ways to at least, you know, um, transition. What would I want to do in my life? And I decided I'd like to have a clothing company. He can't walk, but I would still run away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? No, he seemed like a tough guy to me. Yeah. So, Laura, your son is a skateboarder, right? Yeah. So you know what it's like when there is a brand that is like the brand. So what are the brands right now that like your kid like has to have? Oh, well, I don't know the brands right now. What I was thinking of, I was thinking like two years ago when we went to, well, pre-COVID, right before COVID, we went to New York City for one of our vacations and he was obsessed with Supreme, Mm. which was a skateboarding brand. And you could only buy Supreme at like the Supreme store in New York and you couldn't go online and you had to like stand in line out in front of the store. And thankfully we have, I'm calling him Will's Benefactor, 
one of our cousins who's in New York who stood in line with him for like two hours. And then Will came home with like, you know, the million dollar hat, which he had to have. And they were handing out free shower caps. And and that was like a big shower haul. Caps? And I was, shower caps. I know. I was like, uh. really? Um, but now I, you know, I haven't even looked, but I keep getting these text messages for Christmas because he's such a, he, into the skateboarding culture and like all these skate pants and like this and that. And I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Um, what I thought was interesting about this was how this started from the legit like skate surfing brand and then watching how, you know, the Von Dutch brand sort of took off initially, I will say somewhat legitimately, although I did appreciate when they were like sewing the patches on the Dickies jeans. Oh my God. Yeah. The best. That was a classic scene. That was so flea market. Um, I loved it. <laughs> but it's interesting. I will say, so back to the Supreme thing, like that was huge. That was huge. It was ridiculous. And now it's gone and nobody wants the Supreme anymore. So it's like this. It's like it's in and it's out. But when it's in, it's like all anybody can talk about. And like we saw in this, like when it was in, like Paris Hilton, everybody's wearing it. And then when it's done, it's like they're just like throwing the hat back at you. Do you know what I loved about the Paris Hilton parts? First of all, she was in it for like, what, five minutes tops? No, not I even. I loved her, though. Two minutes? In the beginning I loved her. And the Oh, by end. the way, Paris Hilton, like I, I feel have so many feelings for Paris Hilton, like positive feelings. But she is also such a flash in the pan. Like, I mean, she's, she's out of a moment and she's out of exactly. Like Von Dutch. Yeah, yeah. she's out of that moment. And um, also, by the way, Paris Hilton is a victim of those um, wilderness schools like mm-hmm. that we did podcast about. And like she's doing a bunch of stuff about that now. And she's somebody to watch around that space. But anyway, the fact that she they threw her the hat and they were like, would you wear that? And she was like, maybe ironically. And it's like I was looking at her and I was like. That's how people feel about you, like not me, because mm-hmm. I actually have different feelings about Paris Hilton than the culture does. But like, that's how people feel about Paris Hilton. Right. And it's like that was such a perfect moment. I, I, I just I just love what the filmmakers did with everybody in that opening montage. There's even that moment where she's like, yeah, there's this one day I walked into my my closet and I saw this Von Dutch stuff and I just threw it all away. I had so much Von Dutch and I just couldn't look at it anymore. So I just got rid of everything that's never really happened to me with a brand where i would love something so much one day and then the next day like not be caught dead in it and i was like okay well yeah that's also a metaphor (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean you like like your little prop person or whatever kim kardashian was for you just like yeah. One day it was like you were gone and, and she was there. So anyway, I, I, I thought she was a very interesting presence. Back to Paris Hilton, I just want to say really quickly, one of the things that I thought was interesting, because we talk a lot now about like influencers and like social media influencing. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about this is this was like influencers pre-social media yeah. with regard to a brand. She was mm-hmm. the first and, one. She was yeah. the progenitor influencer, period. But, and and how Von Dutch was something that was spread via influencers in a different medium than what we see now where we're seeing everything on like Instagram and, uh, and all those kind of places. And you're thinking like, so where did people see this? Well, we see this when like Tommy Lee's doing like MTV Cribs <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, he's out there like wearing the hat. And, you know, we've got like Ashton Kutcher, like wearing this, you know, it was interesting to see how it started with those people. And then the next thing you know, they've got like really bad, like 
dog sweaters and shit. And you're like, yeah, this is just going off the rails. Yeah. So that's what Bobby claims to have been responsible for. Do you believe him that he did that? That what he 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 so got time. Bobby, we saw him on cribs. No, so Bobby says that was his part of the business, right? That he was responsible for yeah. all the viral guerrilla marketing, right? Yeah, he got the stuff in his celebrity hands. Bobby strikes me as the kind of person that's like, you know, that there's a lot there that's true, but there's so much there that's bullshit. Well, that is like it definitely is like it could all be bullshit. And all of a sudden, it's like ninja turtles popping out of manholes. Like all of a sudden, there's like fifteen of them. And I remember this one kid just went crazy and Mark just beat his ass. And next you know, like, this other kid stabbed him through the leg with a screwdriver. And Mark just pulled the screwdriver out, like, laughing. I was frozen, like, scared. She was like, this dude is crazy. He is so, you know, I, I don't know how I, I know feel what you're about getting. Bobby. I know what you're getting. Yeah. Right? Bobby's engaging. I guess I should wonder on whether he's being honest and completely forthcoming. But his enthusiasm was just, to me, came off as genuine. The way he was telling his stories, not like KC in American Vigilante. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I guess we can question anybody's motives and stuff. But like, it, it doesn't come off to me like he's just making stuff up when he's getting up off of his seat and having to walk around and start you know, imitating and emulating stuff that was going on. I just, I mean, is he the kind of guy that I would want to, you know, invest a lot of money in, in a business? No, but did I think that, you know, he had a lot of feelings about, you know, what happened and had some remorse, but also had, you know, some crazy fucking times? Yeah. But don't you think that all these people, Toby, are just motivated by the fact that they had money for a minute and now they don't? Yeah, and Bobby... As far as I could tell, he was partying his ass off yeah. at like Tommy Lee's place and the Playboy Mansion and these like <laughs> high end clubs and stuff. And he was just bringing around a sack of swag that he would just hand out to people and hope they would wear it. And that was his guerrilla marketing. Yeah, it worked. So if I was 25 and that was my life, and then somebody was like, "Oh, by the way, I just took the company away from you. Signed this. Oh, now I'm firing you." Yeah, I'd be bummed. Like. Well, maybe he shouldn't have been involved in a murder, Toby. That may have helped not have him do that, you know? <laughs> that came way later, though. Well, he was involved in a murder before. Well, he was, <laughs> you mean when he was 16, 17? I couldn't quite follow the whole gun thing. It's yeah, like it didn't make any sense. It made, it made no sense. And he gives it to somebody else, and that person kills somebody. It made no sense. Like The whole thing made no sense. I was yeah. like, I don't I don't see how you owe him anything. Anyway, yeah. so Bobby's interesting. He's, he's definitely a talker. Like My sense is that most of the stuff is true, and that he just embellishes it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, because he's like that kind of guy. Like, why not make it a better story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like that, so I can't really blame him for that. <laughs> but I think, you know, Mike's the star. He's such an interesting character yeah. of a guy who, you know, was a drug dealer and spent time in prison is also kind of this like, just has some insight into fashion or something. He's insight into like fashion, not... but he's so, I mean, he's so smart. Right, yeah. like, like, like his his way of even stringing thoughts together when he's talking, even after he's doing hits off his like, yeah, smoking little, crack and yes, just... unbelievable. <laughs> he was so like with it. I'm like, man, it like leveled him out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if I were better, if I were that smart after smoking crack, I'd consider it. I'm just saying, he was unbelievable. I don't want him. I don't want to know Mike, but I also want to know Mike. I mean, that's how I felt about Mike in a way that I haven't felt about somebody I've seen in a documentary like this in a long time. He was interesting. Also, yeah. he was framed beautifully in square, like Wes Anderson way in that trailer. Well, 
can we talk about how I, I mean, one of the things, and this is just like a stylistic thing, but like everybody in this documentary was seated in the most interesting location. I mean, we have Mike on the couch with the dog that looks like it's dead. We have um, it was just well behaved. Mishma- Get over it, Laura. We have the mismatched pillow guy. Yeah. We have yeah. the lady on the pile of like these like marigold Tuffets. yellow yes. pillows. Yep. Crisscross applesauce. Yeah. We and she's just sitting on this like pile of pillows. We have the lady who did like every drug imaginable who's sitting in her like nice couch. Her beautiful like, yeah, home. I did, like meth, the crack, and her whatever. beautiful home. Yes. I just I I thought it was really interesting the choices they made of where they filmed people. And then we have Bobby, who's in this like sort of industrial warehouse who just keeps like hopping up and doing his whole thing. But I thought it was, I I kind of enjoyed these random locations and random poses and random things that they had around the people when they were filming in this. Well, this is what I was saying. I think there's some interesting visual choices that the documentarians made. Let's take that separate from the story that they picked and how they told it. I thought visually they did some things that, so it wasn't, by the book, you know, they didn't like check off usual thing A and usual thing B. They had a couple of things that ended up making the story about the business, you know, embellished it in a way that achieved an effect. And I really liked that. There were other issues I had with the documentary overall. One is that, well, this really isn't a crime story, even though we were set up to believe that. I was hoping for something or I was expecting something more like welcome to your fantasy in which the murder is is sort of baked More into anthropological. Well, it's baked into the business history of uh, Chippendales, right? You know, the O.J. Simpson murders is not part of the history of the Buffalo Bills, right? Right. You know, and the sort of like so to connect, you know, the shooting in self defense, Bobby shooting Mark after he's already been dismissed from you know his bad deal with Von Dutch doesn't really reach Von Dutch, but somebody somewhere said, hey, that Sasquatch thing came off really good. Why don't we position this for them? I don't know. They're like, let's position this as true crime, too, because if we do, we'll get on Crime Writers On, and everybody loves that shit. So I just want to say something about the location. So Kevin and I watched a documentary on Netflix recently where the director made a choice to film everybody in weird locations that were like decayed buildings on purpose. Yeah, yeah, bank vaults. Yeah, weird, weird I think shit. I think these were these people's homes and places. Because remember when yeah. the guy with the pillow place was like, "Oh, he was unlocking the doors. This is my place." I think these were these people's homes and buildings. Because, and I, I do not Bobby's, but yeah, everybody else. But I think, and I just think they were framed beautifully. Like Mike was in his trailer or whatever, but they just framed it so beautifully. And Tony's in his w- weird garage with all oh the my God. motorcycles so, on the wall. So Scandinavian and like gorgeous. Tony, how looked- much money do you have to have? Do you have motorcycles that are on the shelf? Tony looked like a villain in a Scandi noir murder show. I loved him. Oh, oh my God, my I God. loved him. I'm like all I about loved his hair. I'm all about like the Scandinavian investor who comes in with all the money and is like. Here, have my millions. Wait, what? Okay, cut you out, cut you out, cut you out, cut you out. And also I am murdering people and putting them in the freezer. Like, <laughs> he is that guy. <laughs> Loved everything about him. He's in the bridge. Like, he's in, like, all the oh, dark the rain brawn, things. Brawn. Um, oh. So anyway, I loved everything about it. But that's, I just thought that the, fr- I mean, just from an artistic standpoint, the framing of the shots of this was gorgeous. Like, it was beautifully made. Like, I loved looking at this. So I just, I got to give it points for that. I'm just going to say it, giving it points. Especially Mike 
sitting on that couch with the dog. He was framed like he was in a cinematic, like Wes Anderson, like shot. Even when he was smoking crack. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Curse of Von Dutch, A Brand to Die For? It's a three-part documentary on Hulu. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this very strange series that we just spent a bunch of time talking about? I'm sort of conflicted on this. Um, So initially I was like, I hate this. I hate this so much. And the reason I said that is because I went in thinking I was getting a murder mystery. And if I actually wanted information on this whole situation where Bobby Vaughn like reports a shooting and there's there's like a whole criminal thing, this was not the thing to watch. So it was a bit of a bait and switch. If you can get past that and if you are like Toby Ball and you want to listen to this bizarro story of this like subculture world in the fashion world that involves people that are like drug traffickers, all sorts of other crazy people. And you're curious about that. This is like a little bit like Cocaine Island meets Sasquatch with the bait and switch. So I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I'm going to go thumb sideways with it because there were some kind of quirky people in it. But I was expecting something different when I went into it. And I was very, it took me a while to adjust to the fact that that was not actually the story that I was getting. Toby Ball. Yeah, I um, I really like this. I, I kind of feel like, you know, the murder part of it is a little bit like Murder Mountain, I guess, where it's like, I think it helps sort of illustrate like how crazy some aspects of the whole Von Dutch thing were like, while it doesn't quite touch Von Dutch. There is, you know, Mark who's Bobby's best friend and Bobby like at one point try and strong arm Tony out of the business. Like they put a gun on the table. That being said, I thought this actually effectively does what a lot of other programs we've seen where they're like, look at these crazy guys. And it seems like they're really trying to force these otherwise like not so interesting people into being sort of zany. And in this case, you've got like, I don't think any of these people are particularly zany or crazy, but they're super interesting. And they're not the kind of people that you would normally expect to see in a thing about the fashion industry. It's got some insights about different things. And I and I think again, like one of the big things, it's it's just it's about capitalism and it's about in the world of money, what counts, you know, and, and what, what comes out on top. And it's basically having money, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I, I just I thought this was interesting and entertaining. I, I thought the people who have the long sort of interview parts are all really interesting talkers in different ways. And uh, I think their perspectives on things are different enough that the sort of collage that it makes ends up being an interesting sort of look at the story of this little flash in the pan company that kind of came and went, but still is still selling their hats for like 90 bucks. Yeah. I thought it's a joke. I'd get some Von Von Dutch hats for everybody for Christmas. I was like, man, this is going to put me out like 400 bucks. Um, so, So you're not getting Von Dutch hats. Thank you. Uh, so anyway. I um, might just buy one I, for myself. Just <laughs> I'm, I'm a big thumbs up. I thought this was, this was really good. Kevin Flynn. I'm going to go sideways on this only because I think that we watch this 
expecting that there'd be a more substantial crime element to the story. What if you didn't? Well, then it wouldn't be on Crime Writers On. Wouldn't it? We watch things that aren't crime all the time. Are you actually, are you literally trying to talk me out of my- I'm just curious. uh, We do non-crime things all the time. So if we did this and it weren't crime, what would you say? Well, we did found, but we knew found wasn't a crime thing. This was the curse of Von Dutch, a brand to die for. (laughs) Right? So not being subtle about it. Look, as far as a business history with a bunch of colorful characters who end up doing each other dirty, it's like the best VH1 behind the fashion music they've ever done. That's really good. The first two episodes I found very entertaining in that way. But as we said, the documentarians made a lot of interesting visual choices, too. It was fun to go along. When they finally tried to squeeze this into a tangential crime to sort of justify the whole thing, the way that they started telling the story fell apart and it wasn't great. So it's a huge disappointment as a crime documentary. It's not so bad as a fun business documentary. That's why it just goes sideways. Okay, so I watched the first two episodes and I, I, I think the thing is beautifully made. So I watched the first two episodes and I was like, this is not a crime thing. And then I read this Rolling Stone piece about how this is not a crime thing. It's about capitalism and fashion. And then I watched the third episode and I was like, oh, my God, this is really fucking good. So I'm giving it a thumbs up. I think it's really fucking good. And I think the people are super interesting. And Mike Cassell is worth watching it for alone. And it's beautifully made. And I think that just because you watch something and you expect it to be one thing and it ends up being another thing is not a good reason to give it a thumbs down. I don't know what you're talking about. So thumbs up for me. Don't give it a thumbs down. It's not a good reason to give it a thumb sideways. So... I'm going to give it a thumbs up. <laughs> My thumb sideways if you want it. Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Curse of Von Dutch, colon, whatever the hell it's called, blah, 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 blah. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. The judge in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial has dismissed one of the jurors who claimed to have a hardship. The juror said his husband sprung a surprise Christmas vacation on him. He asked to be excused because canceling the trip would be a financial burden. The getaway would have overlapped with two days of testimony. Attorneys suggested recessing those two days so he could stay on the panel. Instead, the judge granted the request. So the case now has 12 jurors and five alternates. We can't say whether the trip truly had been in the works or whether it's just an expensive ploy to get out of jury duty. Now, panel, can you come up with your own holiday-themed excuse to get out of jury duty? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I'm having a holiday-themed tea party with my cats. Oh. And cats are super temperamental. And if you change their schedule, it's very <laughs> disruptive and upsetting to them. Your so Honor. I really need to keep the tea party on schedule. That's right. Yeah. Toby Ball, what do you think? Can you come up with a holiday or recreational reason to get out of jury duty? I've got to shake the nutmeg into the eggnog. Kevin <laughs> 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 Flynn, what do you think? Well, Your Honor, the sun was hot that day, and I said, let's run, and we'll have some fun now before I melt away. Oh, that makes me so sad. Every time I hear that song, it makes me want to cry. Thumpity, thump, thump. No, 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 it's not like Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, my, don't even get me started. I can't, don't, 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 don't. Puff. All right. Stop it. Dragon. Don't with the, It's about with this, marijuana, Rebecca. Yeah. No, when the the, the <laughs> scales <laughs> fell like no spring. Little Jackie paper. All right, we should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. And we also, before that, I would like to say we have a Brichter scale member of the week. Oh. We do. Uh 
Yes, Jill Bunting from Alaska (gasps) visited Exeter last weekend. On her way from Bar Harbor back to Boston, she and her husband stopped in Exeter, came to Water Street Bookstore. It was amazing. So she is the Brichter Scaler of the Week. Nice. All right. Yeah, because like Alaska, I think that's, I mean, that's amazing. And she was awesome also. So the cat of the week this week comes to us from Christy Skulo. And the cat's name is Cheetah, spelled C-H-I-T-A-H. And it's a, and Cheetah is wearing, looks kind of like a disco cat. Like there's a whole outfit, um, like a maybe like a court jester. It says, my mom told me if I wore this, I'd have a real shot at cat of the week. I'm simultaneously plotting my mom's death. It will be a four thumbs up podcast. Even Toby will love it. Oh. And envisioning my own line of crime writers on leggings. Help a cat out. Signed, Cheetah. This so is Cheetah, a psychedelic looking cat. That's like a cat it's, on acid. Yeah. It kind of is. So I'm all about Cheetah, Cat of the Week. Super awesome. All right, Lara Bricker. If folks want to attract your attention with their cats or dogs or any kind of animal to be Cat of the Week, of course, they can email them to us at crimeraiderson at gmail.com or post them in our Facebook group. But say they want to tweet them to you. How can they do that? They can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter. And Toby Ball, if folks want to congratulate you for your and my consensus, our whole consensus this week, we agreed on everything. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Solidarity, bro. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to tweet to you, how can they find you? I'm still at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We've got a regular Facebook page. Go there and click join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show right now. Plus, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we keep track of all the celebrities wearing our crime writers on leggings. Yes. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I have a, uh, a story to read you guys from Slack at work today. This is my coworker mm-hmm. put in the work Slack a note from his grandma that she, that he received. Should I read it out loud? Yeah. Great. I will need your assistance as I am getting porn in my spam email, which I believe happened when Googling Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> funny, but not funny. <laughs> Haven't opened anything, but don't know how to opt out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, grandma. <laughs> I told him the Henry That's story. That's what you get for Googling Dick's. I told him the Henry story when Henry was a kid and uh, he was going through his very short airsoft phase and we had to go to Dick's uh, to get him a new mask so he could, didn't like lose an eye. We walked into like uh, newly constructed Dick's like a new market. We walk in and he goes, Mom, smells like brand new Dick's in here. <laughs> very loudly. <laughs> yeah. What do brand new Dick's smell like? Dick's, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. Toby, <laughs> the fact that that I, don't, I just I was just thinking there was one time when Jake was pretty little, we were at a bar actually at the Portsmouth waterfront, and I had to change his diaper, and uh, 
I was in the bathroom and it wasn't very convenient and stuff. And there's like this line outside. And suddenly Jake just yells at the top of his lungs, stop it. You're hurting my penis. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody came to his rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine being like the marketing person who worked for Dick's and when it became a big box store, nobody was like, maybe we should change the name of this place that is mostly for adolescent boys and their parents bringing them here to buy soccer gear. Yeah, well, I'm sure the guy, (laughs) Richard Smith, who was the CEO, who wants to have that discussion? Yeah, okay. Uh, Item number seven on the agenda. Uh, I just kind of want to bring this up and just kind of throw it around. Yeah. The name. What's wrong with the name? (laughs) Nothing, Dick, but um, (laughs) okay, just. uh, It's like New Hampshire's favorite congressional candidate. Dick Sweat. Dick, Dick, Dick Sweat. <laughs> my, my sister, and I can't believe I lost this, sent me a, a correction from the Burlington Free Press that said we incorrectly identified Richard Weed. Um, his name is not Richard. Sorry, Dick. His guy's name was Dick Weed. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you think that was like half of a troll? Like someone doubled down and said, Sure, what's yeah. your name? It's Richard Weed. And when they printed it like that, then they called to complain yeah. to see if they could get yeah. it the whole way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> New York Times had a front page thing, and I can't remember what it was in the this is the early 90s because I was working at CQ at the time where they interviewed somebody who was involved in something and they identified themselves as Iona Bong. And <laughs> Iona it was Bong. on the front page of the New York Times. I used to, but I don't currently. <laughs> Iona Bong. Currently. Oh, God. Yeah.